Hi, and welcome to Let's Get Clinical. Tips from the CRA Helper. Here is your host, Elizabeth Waddell. Hi, Elizabeth here, and welcome to Episode 7, where I will begin discussing common audit findings. And one of the first ones I think of involves informed consent. This is a big one. So by the end of this episode, you will learn some of the common audit findings regarding consent and some tips that will assist you when monitoring. So let's start with a common issue when subjects are not consented with the correct version of the consent form. Yikes, right? (laughs) And this happens a lot. Well, as you know, when a subject is consented, the most current IRB approved version of the consent form should be used. And sometimes this just doesn't happen. You may see that newest IRB approval filed in the regulatory binder. However, the new subject did not sign this version. They signed a previous version. So this is one of the reasons why during my first visit to a site, I like to start with that regulatory binder. So I am aware of all the IRB approvals, all IRB approved versions of the consent form. And I would keep an ICF tracker and form consent form tracker in order to have a listing of all those IRB approved consents. I want every version listed. And I'll do this in order to track which version is the most current when that new subject comes in to sign consent, as well as keeping track of the existing subjects that need to sign the updated version. Because when there's a new version, all new and existing subjects are to sign the updated version. So this is why a tracker is so important because another common audit finding is where there's a lack of reconsent or providing new information when required by the IRB. Because so we need to remind sites that before starting the consent process first, you wanna always make sure that you have the latest approved version from the IRB of the consent form, as well as making sure that those existing subjects have signed the new version as well. And with that updated version, can it wait until the subjects, you know, existing subjects next study visit? Or is it something that they have to be contacted about now? So for example, I was on a study where there was a new safety issue, which resulted in a revised consent form. However, this information could affect the subjects wanting to continue their participation in the study. It was a new safety issue and it resulted in a revised consent form, but the template would have had to been updated, approved by the sponsor and then approved by the IRB. So the subjects being informed of this new safety issue couldn't wait until that time. So the sites had to contact all the subjects immediately with the new safety information and then document this information in the source, the contact in the source. And then when the IRB approved that updated consent form, when that was available, the site had to um, reconsent those subjects also. So it definitely was something they, you know, when there's a new updated consent form, the site does need to confirm, is this something, is this a, hu- a huge update that the subjects need to be contacted about prior to re-signing the consent form in addition? Or is it something that can actually wait until their next study visit? Sometimes there's an updated address or something, you know, this administrative thing that's updated and it requires a whole new version of the consent form. And sometimes that can wait until the next subject's visit. So um, if it is something like that, then a lot of times I would see where sites would put a blank copy of that new ICF in the subject source. So that way they'd be sure to reconsent the subject at that next study visit. And as monitors, we have to track this as well. We have to ensure that all the new subjects signed the most recent at the time they came in. And then also that the existing subjects signed it as well. So 
Picture this. I um, inherited a site. Actually, it was a couple of them, but this w- this particular site that I'm using as an example, it um, was before they were in high enrolling site. There was going to be an interim data analysis and they were chosen for a QA audit because they were high enrollers. So, you know, I was coming in and I was preparing them for the audit and it happened to be a site that not only did they have multiple versions of the consent form, but they were in two different languages. So I had to make sure that they had every single version available in English and every single version available in Spanish. So my tracker was full. And so I had to make sure that I went by that. And it definitely came in handy when confirming if the subject signed the most recent version if the existing subjects were reconsented appropriately. So I had to make sure that all applicable versions were present for each and every subject at the site. So a tracker definitely comes in handy because this is something as monitors that we need to track as well and document in our trip reports. But another issue that is definitely a common finding is inadequate documentation of the consent process. Because consent is not just a form or a document, it is a process. So after a subject signs and dates the ICF, the consenter is going to sign and date the ICF, and then the consent process should also be documented in the source. For example, did the subject have sufficient time to review the consent? Was it obtained prior to any study-related procedures being performed? Did the subject receive a copy? So these are some of the things we should be looking for in that consent process, right? So it's very important that they document this so we can confirm. And some sites, in addition to document the consent process, they'll usually sometimes also have SOPs that document their site's consent process. And this is something that we review Um, at the pre-study visit and initiation visit as well. But so the consent process at a site is very important, but we also want to see documentation in the source when the subject is consented that it was done properly. So, and this goes for when initially consenting a subject for a study, as well as when a subject is re-consented, when they're signing that updated version of the consent form. And so usually what I would do is, so for example, for that site that had the multiple versions of the consent form that I was getting prepared for the audit, when I would start with a patient, there'd be like a stack of different versions of the ICF. So I would look at the date sign, then I'd go to the source and look for that consent process. And I would see it a lot where that initial consent might have been documented, that process might have been documented. But I would see it a lot where when the subjects would sign the updated versions, that there would be no documentation in the source that it even happened. So it's just very important that when a subject signs a consent, and even reconsents that that process is documented in the source. And we, you know, as monitors need to verify that. So like I mentioned, we need to confirm that no study procedures were performed prior to obtaining consent. Consent must be obtained prior to first, prior to any study related procedures being performed. And this includes asking a patient to wash out of a medication prior to screening. And I have seen this too, where I'm reviewing medical records and I see where subjects stopped a disallowed medication. And I'm like, wait a minute, that that's before the date they were consented for the trial. And usually what I'll immediately ask the site was a subject asked to stop taking this prior to them coming in for screening and consenting. And, and I'm thinking inside my head, if, if so, this is wrong on so many levels, but some will say, no, they actually stopped the medication due to insurance purposes. And then in that case, I would explain to them, you really need to be sure this is documented clearly in the source as it's going to appear that you asked them to do something study related before they were consented. If the subject was asked to stop a medication, a disallowed med prior to coming in for screening and consenting, 
Then, of course, this led to escalation to the study team. The IRB was notified and so much more. So much fun. But sometimes the ICF or the consent process also will include the time of consent, which I do like because that way I can really ensure that none of the screening procedures, none of the study procedures were performed prior to them signing the consent. So if it did include the time that the actual consent was obtained, then I would jot that on my notes as well. So then when I was reviewing the source for the day of that visit, any time I would see a time for a procedure performed like labs, for example, I would look at the time of the consent in order to make sure that the study procedures were not performed prior to signing consent. So it's so um, important. And then I would just do that throughout the whole time, reviewing the source, just comparing those times, just to double check and ensure that consent happened first. And we also want to ensure that the person obtaining consent, the consenter, has been delegated to do so by the PI. And we can tell this by looking at that delegation of authority log that's filed in the regulatory binder. Depending on the company you work for may depend on the acronyms or the title of the form that they use. Sometimes it's a delegation of authority log, a site delegation responsibility log, a site signature log. But you get the gist. (laughs) So you can look on the form. I look at the name of the consenter and I make sure that this person was delegated appropriately by the PI to obtain consent. Now, you want to be familiar if there's any local laws in regards to that. For example, in Pennsylvania, I remember where a Supreme Court had ruled that a physician may not delegate to others his or her obligation to provide sufficient information in order to obtain conformed, sorry about that, informed consent. So you just want to make sure that um, you're familiar with your state local laws as well where you're monitoring. And another finding is a missing HIPAA authorization, which is huge. (laughs) If we do not see assigned consent and assigned HIPAA, we cannot review that subject. It is so important that both documents are present, signed, reviewed by the CRA prior to any source review. So I had taken over a site and even though the previous CRA may document that they've reviewed the ICFs and HIPAA for that particular patient, I like to verify it for myself um, as well, because the consent HIPAA are so important. So I want to verify myself that the consent HIPAAs were signed appropriately and filed with the source. So I just happened to come across where the initial consent, this particular site used a central IRB and most of the central IRBs that I'm used to would incorporate the HIPAA with the consent. So there may be like 19 pages of the consent form and maybe page 17, they sign and date consent. And then maybe on page 19 is where they sign and date the HIPAA portion of the consent form. And for that particular subject, the HIPAA page was not signed and dated. And I I about fell out of my chair because that patient should not have been reviewed by the previous monitor. And so I was like, oh my goodness, of course I had to, um, immediately closed the chart. I escalated the issue, documented the issue. I had to re-educate the site. And of course, the site had to notify the IRB of the issue. And then of course, the subject had to sign the HIPAA before I could review it. So that was definitely a surprise to come across my first time taking over that site. And also to boot, the site had to update all their consent forms across the board because they had an address change. And so that particular patient had to sign an updated consent for the address change. And when they signed the updated consent, it was actually for a completely different study. And I wanted to fall out again of my chair. I should have just stayed on the floor. (laughs) But yeah, so that was a whole other issue we had to resolve. So definitely, I recommend, even if you're taking over a site and it was documented that was reviewed for consent and HIPAA, I definitely recommend verifying it for yourself when you take over the site. So 
this definitely is not an all-inclusive list of issues by any means. I could go on and on and on regarding issues with the ICF, including signatures and dates or even initials by the subjects that are missing or not complete, dates that are not matching between the subject and the consenter, or even a coordinator that dated for a subject. Oh my goodness, that I couldn't get over that one. So definitely a lot of issues that I've come across in my experience. And it would take so much longer than one podcast episode to go through it all. But my course will definitely actually go into specific detail regarding review of the consent form and everything that we need to verify as monitors during that review. So it's going to be very informative. But thank you so much. And if you like what you hear, hit subscribe and check out um, free resources that I have at my website on the CRAhelper.com. And next week, I'm going to continue with a discussion of common audit findings. And you will have to wait in suspense which one I'm going to choose. So <laughs> thanks again. And I pray you have a great day. So until next time.